Welcome, I'm Pastor Jamin Wentworth, the executive pastor here at Trevecca Community Church. We're so glad you're joining us to hear God's word. Each week we'll be streaming our service from the sanctuary just for you. Come along as we grow together and explore what God has to say to us. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. For his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. For his steadfast love endures forever. Who alone does great wonders. For his steadfast love endures forever. Who by understanding made the heavens. For his steadfast love endures forever. Who spread out the earth on the waters. For his steadfast love endures forever. Who made the great lights. For his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day. For his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night. For his steadfast love endures forever. Who struck Egypt through their firstborn. For his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them. For his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. For his steadfast love endures forever. Who divided the Red Sea in two. For his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. For his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. For his steadfast love endures forever. Who led his people through the wilderness. For his steadfast love endures forever. Who made water flow from the rock. For his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate. For his steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes. For his steadfast love endures forever. Who gives food to all flesh. For his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. For his steadfast love endures forever. This, this is, is the, the word, word of, of the Lord. Lord. Amen. And at this time, our kids between kindergarten and fifth grade can join Pastor Isaac in the back of the sanctuary as you're dismissed to go upstairs for elementary worship. Parents, grandparents, older siblings, aunts and uncles, guardians of all kinds, we'll make sure we pick up our kids at the end of the service from upstairs in the mount. Kids, we love having you in worship with us. So good. Psalm 136, the story of the steadfast love of God that endures for how long? Oh, you heard it. Good. That endures forever. What an amazing way to tell the story of God. The story of God's love for God's people generation after generation. This morning, we're talking about formational storytelling. 
one of our six missional practices. If you were with us last week, you know that we are walking through a series unpacking our missional practices, the things that uniquely as Trevecca Community Church, we believe that God has called us to do, to practice over and over, like a basketball player practices dribbling and free throws, right? That's a, that's a thing. Uh, the, the practices that we need to form us and shape us, setting a pick. That was what I tried to practice saying. I didn't get there. The, the things that, the basic skills we need to know that we practice over and over and over again that form and shape us for God's mission in the world. This morning, we're going to be asking the question, how are we doing? How are we doing telling formational stories that are faithful to the story of God's salvation that we see in Scripture? How are we doing? This morning, I want to read to you a story written by Dr. Elizabeth Burr Branstead. So just making that really clear, as I'm reading this story, this is not my story, uh, particularly because it's about a husband and wife. This is not about me and Tim, all right? This is Dr. Elizabeth Burr Branstead. She published a story on her blog in 2018. Here's her story. When I was a teenager, I was told a parable. And I can't remember by whom or under what circumstances, but I will never forget it. You see, there once was an elderly couple, and they would sit across from each other in the morning to share toast and tea. One morning, probably a gray Tuesday morning, I imagine, when the toast popped up, the old man reached for a piece and buttered it carefully and handed it to his wife. Then he repeated with the second piece of toast, and they began their breakfast. But the wife wasn't eating. What's wrong? The husband asked. I've had it, said the wife. Almost every morning for 62 years, you've taken the heel of the loaf, toasted it, buttered it, and given it to me, keeping the soft piece for yourself. Why do you do that? She asked testily. Because the heel is my favorite piece, her husband replied. For 13 years now, remember this is still Dr. Elizabeth Burbranstead. For 13 years now, I have risen almost every weekday morning at 4 a.m. Because that's when my husband wants to go to work. He doesn't have to. That's when he wants to do it. I make him breakfast and pack him a lunch and send him off to work. Have I resented that ever? Absolutely. I've had my mornings of slamming pans, cursing, and general grumpiness. I felt taken for granted. He's often in a bad mood in the mornings. I thought he's so selfish and a real pill. But I never ask why anymore. Once when I grumbled, why do we have to do this every day? He said, because I can come home at three and still have the rest of the day with you. Getting up at 4 a.m. is my heel of bread. I read the parable to Bob the next morning while he was eating his breakfast. His back was to me. He was pretty quiet when I finished, and then I saw him wipe his eye. Are you crying? I asked. I have something in my contact, he said. Well, did you get it? Full of questions, I was. What kind of duller do you think I am? And I love you. Stories have a powerful way of shaping our reality and shaping the lens through which we're reading all of the other stories that are unfolding right in front of us. 
The way we tell the story of what has happened and what is happening leads to the story of what will happen next unfolding. You see, for both of these stories of these couples, each of the wives initially saw their husband's acts as acts of selfishness. Which, if I can just step back, I also recognize this, both of these stories have some major communication flaws. We just need to admit, right? These are not perfect stories. For 62 years, you don't tell them that you don't like the heel. Communicate, people. And has he never asked her which piece of bread she prefers? Come on. And who actually likes the heel? Like, what kind of monster have you married that likes the heel? Oh, a few hands. I apologize, monsters. I did not, did not mean that personally. All right. I just, okay, I just learned something new. I have a new lens with which to understand all of you. But for both of these couples, the wives initially read this as this selfish ask, but after asking the question, they get a fuller picture of the story. As it turns out, this wasn't a selfish act at all, but an act of love. Can you imagine how that might reshape these marriages? If you're telling yourself a story about a selfish spouse who always puts their own wants and needs before your own, what else will you interpret through that lens? The way they leave the toothpaste in the morning? How long it takes them to reply to your text message? We begin interpreting the story unfolding in front of us through the story that we're already telling ourselves. Psalm 136 is rehearsing the story of God, rehearsing the story of creation and salvation so that we cannot mistake the root of love that is there. We cannot mistake it. God's actions, past, present, and future, are always brought forth out of covenantal loving kindness that endures forever, that binds God, the creator and redeemer, with the people of God. And human beings are part of that story, made in God's good and loving image, but human beings also have a really hard time interpreting our stories with love. This is hard for us, and I'm not sure that I can unpack why it is so hard for us to interpret our stories unfolding right in front of us through the lens of love. I still have not fully unpacked that, but we see it throughout Scripture. The beginning of Scripture in Genesis, at the beginning of the creation story, here are human beings lovingly created and molded, placed right in the center of the garden that is perfectly, beautifully made to tell God's story of love for them, everything they need provided for them. God even protects them from the one thing in the garden that would do them harm. This tree of knowledge of good and evil protects them from that, gives them everything they need for flourishing and life. And what is the story that slithers into the garden? One day the serpent tells the woman, you know, God has really not given you the best, not like the soft piece of toast in the middle. No, God's given you the crusty old heel. And they reject the story of love and accept the story of bitterness. We struggle with this story. And so the psalmist Empowered by the Holy Spirit, the psalmist in Psalm 136 leads the people of God to sing the story of creation. 
Give thanks to the Lord of Lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who spread the earth out over the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who made the great lights in the sky, for his steadfast love endures forever. Repeating that refrain over and over and over so you cannot mistake the root of love in God's creation. God loves you, not the heel. God loves you. He's not giving you the leftovers. But then in Exodus, the very next book in Scripture, right after God has rescued the people of Israel, freeing them from the hands of their oppressors in Egypt, miraculously, so that they are freed out of slavery without having to lift a single sword or fire a single arrow. God just sets them free, parts waters, defeats armies. It's a miracle. And what story do they almost immediately start telling themselves in the wilderness? <sighs> you know, I'm pretty hungry out here, and I would really like something other than manna and quail. Thank you very much. I bet God led us out here to die in the wilderness. Forever. But isn't that just another way of saying, God's given us the crusty old heel, right? We better head back to Egypt where there are stew pots, the soft piece in the middle. We reject the story of love and we reach for the story of bitterness. And so the psalmist leads the people in singing this song of deliverance to re-narrate this story for them, saying, Who struck Egypt through their firstborn, for his steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever, and made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever, who led his people through the wilderness, for for his steadfast love endures forever, over and over and over, reminding them that salvation and deliverance, even though it might require a difficult journey, this is God's steadfast, enduring, covenantal, loving kindness, not the heel. Psalm 136 it is a storytelling liturgy. So this is not just another one of the many stories that we tell, but this is the story that forms us, that shapes us. This is the story that forms and shapes the way that we interpret all the other stories in our life. So that this story is so ingrained in our imagination, in the way that we see the world, that we will not mistake an act of God, of love, for a heal. Formational storytelling is one of our missional practices. It is a practice that forms and shapes us for God's mission in the world. We here at Trebekah Community Church try to be very intentional about telling the story of God as witnessed in Scripture and learning that story well and telling it well, telling the stories of how God is at work in our lives today, how God has been at work throughout Christian history, and particularly through the Wesleyan holiness tradition, this unique lens that Nazarenes have on the perspective of God's story. Understanding it's not the only lens. It's helpful to have some other lenses, but this is the lens that God has given these people. 
We live in a world with a lot of different liturgies around storytelling. It's not just Christians that sort of make a worship habit out of storytelling. The world worships stories. There are so many stories out there. There are stories that are told for inspiration, stories that are told for just pure gossip, just to pass around the juice, stories that are told for making heroes, stories for identity formation, stories to make a point or to defend against a point, stories to mislead and stories to amuse. Stories are used for all kinds of different purposes. There are so many stories out there. In fact, just last night, Evelyn and I read a story uh, about the young woman named Malala, if you have heard her story. It's just an amazing story. Clearly, it was written to inspire us. So we, we read this story about this young girl who at 17 has already stood up to the Taliban and fought for her right for education, and now she's standing in front of the United Nations, like delivering a speech. And I know the story's meant to inspire me, but she was 17. I'm about to turn 40, and I'm like, what have I done with my life, right? But it was this inspirational, incredible story. This weekend is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. People will tell stories. We'll sit around at our breakfast table tomorrow morning with the family and we'll tell stories about the March on Washington. We'll tell stories about the march through Selma and speeches given in places like Birmingham. And we'll tell stories. It is a good and right time to do that. But there are so many stories out there. And all of those stories would love to shape you, to form you, into being a particular kind of person. Even the stories of Scripture can be used with an agenda. In fact, it is impossible to read Scripture without a lens. You understand what I mean when I say that? It's impossible to read Scripture without some kind of lens or perspective that you bring to it. There's no such thing as a reading of Scripture that is just the facts, man. That does not exist. We all read scripture through the lens of our own story, embodied in our personal experiences, our hopes, our dreams, our needs and desires, our culture, our language. We can't help it. It's the way God created us. There is not a lens-less reading of scripture out there. And if anybody comes to you and claims that they have found the one true, purely objective reading of all 66 books of the Bible that were written over thousands of years in multiple languages, uh, also make sure that they're not serving Kool-Aid, <laughs> okay? Stay away from that stuff, right? They're, like, there just isn't a lensless reading of Scripture, Tom Noble is um, a theologian in the Church of the Nazarene who just has published a new work of Christian theology where he's trying to unpack some of this, like the way we read Scripture and how we understand Jesus, the Son, God the Father, and Holy Spirit. And he writes this about these lenses that we have. He says, each lens may distort, but the answer is not to despair, but to correct each lens with other lenses. So he goes on to explain that even in Scripture, we have four different Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each one is written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit from a unique perspective and context. Each one gives us a different lens so that we can see Jesus more clearly, get a fuller picture of our Savior. 
And he goes on to say this about the message of Jesus. He says, the message of Jesus is a retelling of the basic story, which, is, which expresses Israel's self-understanding, but a recasting of the story to give it a very different ending. Let me break that down. The woman who wrote the story, Dr. Elizabeth, the woman who wrote the story about their morning toast, that story is helping her recast the story that's unfolding with her husband waking up at 4 a.m. Like that story of the couple with the toast is helping her understand why she wakes up at 4 a.m. every morning. And if she were to continue telling herself the story that her husband is just being selfish and inconsiderate year after year after year, how do you think that story would end? I mean, where would that story lead them eventually if they keep telling that story over and over and over? I would imagine that is not a good ending to that story. You see, these stories that we tell and the way that we tell them, they have a big impact on the direction that our stories take. In the same way that the Holy Spirit inspired the psalmist to lead the people of God, to sing the story of God, constantly recounting God's steadfast, faithful love that endures forever. Well, Jesus' life and message retells that same story retells the story not of a distant God who only gives people the leftover crusty heel, but of a God who loves them with a steadfastness, a God whose love is so steadfast that it will endure when everything else passes away. And through the retelling of Israel's story, through the life of Jesus, it opens up a possibility for a new ending to their story. You see, if Israel had kept telling themselves, man, God's really given us the heel. Man, that God of ours has just forgotten us out here in the wilderness. You know, it'd be a lot better off chasing after some of these gods like Baal and others because this God is just not getting it done. If we kept telling ourselves that story over and over, that story ends in estrangement and isolation lost in their own self-centered sin and navel-gazing narrative, that is not a good ending to the story. But Jesus comes along, a living embodiment of this story. Jesus is the steadfast love of God that endures forever in the flesh. He is the love of God that met them in creation when God hung the stars in the sky and told the sea where to stop at the shore. Jesus is the love of God that made them when God first formed and shaped man and woman in God's divine image. Jesus is the love of God that met them when they were crying out in their bondage and slavery in Egypt and set them free. Jesus is the love of God that met them in manna and quail and water in the wilderness provided for them. Jesus is the steadfast love of God that endures forever with flesh on. It's who he is, an embodiment of that. And so for those who know Jesus, who know his story and live in his story, it opens up a new ending for our story, an ending in which we are forever joined with God in enduring love forever.
So we practice formational storytelling, rehearsing the stories of God's creation and salvation that we see in Scripture and in our lives today because it opens up the possibility for a new ending for our story. This is why we take this practice so seriously. If you've been worshiping with us for a little while, if you worshiped with us in the season of Advent leading up to Christmas, you might remember that we had different stories that were told around the lighting of the Advent candles. Do y'all remember this? In fact, Pastor Kayla Smith helped find some storytellers in our congregation and prepare them to tell their stories well. And so on the first week of Advent, we heard from the Sims family about holding on to hope in the midst of the battle with cancer. And then we heard a story about joy from Bonnie Johnson, who talked about finding joy even when God is bringing low the mighty and lifting up the lowly. And then we heard a story from the abuse of God during civil war in Lebanon when their family had to walk away from everything that they owned. And finally, we heard the story about the love of God from the Cruz family, the story about the love of God that made a way for them to open up their home to generations of children who needed to experience God's love in a real and tangible way. Every week of Advent, after we'd finished hearing one of these stories, I was always sitting here on the front row thinking to myself, man, do we really need a sermon today? (laughs) Am I still going to get up and talk after that? I mean, these stories, they were powerful. It was like the gospel with flesh on. These stories are powerful, and they open up for us a vision of what the future with Christ can look like. But these aren't just stories we tell ourselves to nostalgically gaze back at the past. The stories tell us that God is still working today, still creating, still redeeming, still sustaining And when we tell those stories of the past well, honestly, and clearly, it helps us to see God at work today in our present, and it helps us to see more clearly into God's promised and preferred future for us. This last Wednesday night, uh, our group that meets in the prayer chapel for good conversations, we met this last Wednesday night, and we prayed through Psalm 136. And at first, we just prayed through the same version that you uh, heard read for you this morning. But then we worked through line by line, rewriting Psalm 136 with our stories. I'd never done this before. I didn't really know how it was going to go. And so each stanza turned to the group and say, well, has anybody seen any wonders of God's creation? Sit and listen in some silence for a while where I feel like, ooh, this is a real bad plan. And then they'd start to share about the wonders of God and creation. Seeing a beautiful sunset or loving the first snowfall. And then we'd ask, all right, is um, God freed anybody from the hands of Egypt lately? I don't know. Thinking nobody's going to have anything. And then suddenly, story after story about God setting people free. Sometimes from situations of true oppression. We'd ask, all right, well then, has the Lord, like, I don't know, led anybody through the wilderness, maybe? And then story after story about God seeing people through seasons of grief and loss. And And the whole time they were talking, I was on my laptop typing up their stories. 
and we literally rewrote Psalm 136. When we got to the end, we prayed through that new version of Psalm 136 that had our stories, stories about how God's hand had been on somebody through a potential car accident, stories about how God had freed people from abusive situations, stories about God had seen people through some of the most difficult, dark days that humans ever lived through. And we prayed our stories with the refrain, for his steadfast love endures forever. For his steadfast love endures forever. For his steadfast love endures forever. And I don't know, maybe it was just me, but it really felt like when we came to the end of that time, we suddenly saw differently the stories that we're living in right now. The ones that don't have endings. The wildernesses that we don't know how to get through. The places where we still feel like we are being oppressed. The places where we still don't know how God is going to provide. Somehow praying that through with the refrain of God's steadfast love endures forever suddenly I know I could see differently the situations that are still unfolding right now. When we tell better stories, our stories tell a way forward into a better future. So, Trevecca Community Church, how are we doing? How are we doing at formational storytelling, the stories that shape us and form us to be more like Jesus? How are we doing? I hope so. Amen. I want to walk through a few things that I think might be a, hel a helpful like check-in for us to ask how are we doing. First, how, how are we doing? How well do we know the story of Scripture? Because there's always more to know about the story of Scripture. And unless we know the story of Scripture, how God has worked, it's really hard to see God working in our present and paving a way into our future. And so how are we doing? I mean, maybe this would be a great year for you to, to get like a year-long reading plan, to read through the Bible, the entire story of Scripture in a year. Or maybe you've not really connected to a Sunday school class where we've got some incredible teachers and lessons that will dig deep into Scripture, unpack some of those things that are hard to understand. Maybe there's a Bible study small group that you need to join. How are we doing? How well do you know Scripture and what are you doing to understand that story better with more depth and texture to it? How are we doing? How well are we doing at monitoring the stories that we take in? Let me tell you what I mean. Stories shape us. And so what stories are we taking in that we are letting shape us? Are you constantly being bombarded? by stories that come from only one very particular lens? Are, are stories that are frequently filling you with rage or anxiety or hatred or fear, is that what you are constantly taking in? See, if every story that you are reading or watching or listening to, if all the stories that you are taking in are constantly making you feel like you need to hate or dismiss someone else or some other group of people, you need to find more stories. And on the other hand, if every story that you are constantly taking in is always a great big pat on the back that you and everybody who thinks like you is doing awesome and nothing needs to change, you probably need to find more stories. So how are you doing it, monitoring the stories that you're taking in that are forming and shaping your heart? 
And then uh, the next step would really be, how are we doing at finding stories that give you a new gospel lens and perspective? I don't know if you remember, but last year we talked about reading through spiritual autobiographies, like reading other people's spiritual journeys of the way that they found Christ and how they were transformed over a lifetime of following Jesus. Are there ways that you are accessing these stories, the stories that give you a new perspective on what it looks like to follow Jesus? Are you open to hearing stories of people who might be different than you, who have found a way to faithfully follow Jesus on a path that was not yours? Are you listening to the stories of your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends so that those stories are shaping you for a gospel lens of their life? How are we doing? How are we doing at faithfully telling stories that God has given us to steward? When was the last time that you told somebody a story of what God's doing in your life? The way that God is presently active here and now. How are we doing? How are we doing at telling the stories about the people in our lives? I'm just going to admit, I'm about to meddle right now. Feel free to send me cranky emails. That is all right. I have got, I'm very good at receiving those, but I'm about to meddle, okay? I am a part of enough mom-friend circles to know that there is a bit of a liturgy that unfolds sometimes around storytelling. And this is generalizing. This is not women everywhere in every time and place, but sometimes... Groups of women, groups of moms can get together and one woman tells a my husband's so stupid and my kids are the worst story. And then every woman in the group needs to find a my husband is stupider and my kids are the worster story, right? And we tell these bad stories. I've also been a part of groups where one person tells a story about what they hate about themselves, and then everybody else has to tell a story about something that they hate about themselves. But you're made in the image of God. You don't have to put yourself down to make somebody else feel better. And now I know I'm generalizing from a woman's perspective. It's the only lens I've got. Men, I'm sure you talk about things sometimes i don't know (laughs) okay i'm sure there are a few venues in which you tell stories actually i i know that there are some venues in which you tell stories and they're online and i see them i don't know why that is and this is again this is generalizing not all men everywhere but man i see a lot of mean tweets And sharing stories that are bad stories and conspiracy theories with unchecked facts. And come on, guys, why do you care if Taylor Swift goes to her boyfriend's football game? You need to calm down, okay? (laughs) Man. These stories, they form us. They shape us. They form our hearts. And the more we tell them, the more it shapes the way that we see the story that's unfolding right in front of us, right? We need to be good stewards of these stories. How are you doing about the stories that you tell about the church? What kind of story are we telling about the bride of Christ that paves a path forward? Now, I understand we all, in every aspect of our life, we need places to blow off steam and tell stories that are honest. 
like the ones that we wouldn't post on Facebook with our lovely breakfast that we just made. We need those places too. I'm not saying that. We need to tell stories that are honest, but we also need to tell stories that pave a path forward and that assumes that God has been at work in the good stuff and the hard stuff. How are we doing? This morning, you've got cards uh, that are there on the chair somewhere. I hope you've got one near you. Go ahead and grab it right now. If you've got a writing utensil, take that out. We're about to give you a little bit of time and space in this service to set your intentions around formational storytelling. Last week, we talked about Christ-centered worship. Maybe you also want to spend a little bit of time, now that you've had a week to process, thinking about your practices for Christ-centered worship. But this morning, specifically praying about what practices will you set to be intentional about formational storytelling, making it a practice in this life. This year, how will you practice that daily, weekly, monthly, yearly? What kinds of stories will you tell with your family and your friends and your church? What are the practices that you can put in place to make sure that that's a rhythm and a pattern so that the story of your life is unmistakably rooted in the steadfast love of God that endures forever. This time and space is for you to prayerfully consider that, to write that in, set those intentions. We're going to have these cards every week during this sermon series. And I hope that if you can bring yours back with you, I encourage you to do that. Then you can just kind of continue to keep track of these practices, setting these intentions. But if you'd also like during this time, while Jordan's going to lead us in a song, you can be working on that worksheet. But if you also need to find a place of prayer, maybe God's been convicting you about the story that you've been telling yourself. Convicting you about the story that you've been telling about who you are. Maybe it's really hard for you to see yourself loved by God, made in God's image. Can I just tell you, God has a good story for you. God has a story about you that is so good. And the ending is really beautiful. And so if God's talking with you about the stories that you're telling yourself, you'd like to find a place of prayer here in the sanctuary, here at the altars. If you'd like to have a pastor praying with you, even in one of the altars that are the furthest toward the wall, if you just want to go to one of those altars to just let a pastor know, I'd really love someone to pray with me this morning. You're welcome to do that. But as we sing this song about the story of God, take some time to focus on how you will tell the story of God. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, you can join us in the sanctuary at 1030 on Sunday mornings, live from our YouTube channel, or through our sermon podcast. If you'd like to give, you can give at trevecca.church give. For all other resources, you can find those on our website. However you choose to join us, however you choose to engage, we're grateful for you and you are loved.